Welcome to the Sell the Sizzle podcast. If you need to sell an idea, a product, or a service, this is the show for you. We're going to be sharing sales secrets so you can be a sizzling success. Let's go. All right, sizzlers, welcome to another show. I'm so excited today. We have a luminary in our midst, Mr. Roy Ozing. He is the author of seven books on the theme of be different or be dead. He's an audacious character, but this audaciousness is not built on mere words. He's put them into practice and he built a $1 billion company from scratch using these goals. So we're going to pick his brain today and learn what audacious means, why it's important to be different, and how we can have successful careers and businesses by being bold and audacious. So Roy, welcome to the show. I'm glad you're Thank here. Thank you, Mick. And listen, I'm honored to be here, believe me. And uh, I understand you're, you're calling us from a very uh, cool Vancouver today. Yes, cool from a temperature and weather perspective. I don't know about the other perspective, but yeah, it's typical uh, winter weather here, raining. So I'm happy to have a warm conversation with you. All right. Well, you've got that beautiful Canadian lilt. Tell us a little bit about your background so the audience can uh, get to appreciate you a little bit, Roy. Yeah. So, you know, I'm uh, born and raised in, in the province of British Columbia and went to university at the, went to university at UBC in Vancouver. And started work a long time ago. I've been doing this stuff for like 40 years. And I would say strategically meandered around an organization, a telecom company, actually, that at the time was a monopoly that started going through incredible uh, metamorphosis relative to competition, etc. And I'm kind of like one of those, like, spot something that needs a discontinuity injected in it. And just go do it because the business needs to change. So I've always been that kind of a change agent. Hence, I think the the sort of mantra of be different or be dead it gra- gradually evolved. I mean, I didn't call it at that at the time because I didn't know it. But upon reflection, and so I worked around and did a lot of things. I was kind of a utility dude. Whenever there was a problem, whenever there's something that needed to be done in the organization, they'd always call me and say, go fix it which was kind of cool because that gave me the practical bent, I think, that really, really worked for me. And so that it gradually led to the business changing, becoming highly competitive, much more concerned about customers and customer service and marketing. And they asked me to lead this new initiative into the internet space, which I did. And it was incredible. And it was that experience that really taught me a lot more leveraged on what I've done in the past around this whole differentiation piece. And yeah, gradually got us to a billion dollars in annual sales, Mick. And I got to tell you, I get every time I say that, I get goosebumps because we didn't know it at the time. All we knew was that the opportunity was huge. And how can we take advantage of that opportunity? And so as a team, we just kind of figured it out on the run. You know, and for those of you out there that think, you know, getting that extraordinary amount of growth is all about vision. It's not. It's about having the tenacity, the perseverance, the emotional fortitude, and DNA around being different running through your veins every day that eventually gets you there. And then you look back and you go, wow, look what we did together. 
And so, yeah, exactly. Perseverance, tenacity, fortitude. Oh, it sounds like hard work, Roy, but... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely true. I mean, people say, well, what was your strategy? Well, I had to create my own strategy process, which we can talk about if you want, because pedantic traditional strategic planning, as far as I'm concerned, is 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 just doesn't work in the real world, okay? Because it's not execution focused. And so what I learned is, look at, to get where you need to get to, to take advantage of the dynamics that are impacting you every day, you have to have your mind and body executing all the time. You can't be pondering a whole lot. If you ponder, you die, okay? Because action and results doesn't come from the intellect. It comes from the right side of the brain. It comes from the guts, from people doing things. And so leadership, the biggest challenge I had was to light fires in people. People say to me, what's your leadership style? I said, lighting fires. That's it. I light fires. And there's a whole bunch of cool ways that we we tried to do that. But once you get people lit up, right, to accomplish a goal and just help them along the way, it's amazing what you can achieve. So, so give us a little bit of a perspective. You must. When was it you started this internet business? What was the time frame? So, in the spirit of total disclosure, it was an early stage. Okay, so so we came out of a telephone company environment where we had a data business. Okay, mm-hmm. it wasn't an internet business. Is it? Was, it was a traditional data business with with a, a certain amount of uh, of of momentum on that side. What we did is we picked that up, okay, with IP technology and the whole internet application space and basically lifted it up. So the trajectory that we were on was kind of like a linear line. And we introduced a discontinuity that drove a step function to the growth and just picked it up by, by doing a whole bunch of other things. The, the, the date, I mean, the, the, the data business when I got it in, in about, I don't know, it, it was probably in the year 2000. I mean, it had attraction with a customer set, but it was a very neophyte customer set that we used so, to kind yeah, of like so, rudimentary so back, back in 2000, it was just post the uh, dot-com boom, right? Yeah, it was just, po- well, it was just kind of like on the cusp, huh? right? And, and so, it was just so kind of moving very, into that. Very, very, you, I mean, you were pioneering. I mean, you were almost like... Alexander Graham Bell with the telephone, <laughs> the next version was taking over the internet. I mean, no, you're right. You no, know. it was a matter of, of harnessing the technology and figuring out a way that we could employ it, okay, in a way that people cared about. And that's something I want to underscore here. This whole notion of like, I get asked, well, you know, is technology the big challenge? Is social media? And I keep saying, look, at, if you don't have a strategic context, within which you operate, then none of those tactical things matter. So we had to build a a, a strategic context within which the new technology made sense in a way that people cared about. And so it was all solutions oriented. And we came up with this notion of marketing to cravings as opposed to needs. And the whole notion there was everybody typically has their needs satisfied. And it's very competitive. lots Lots of competitors, very price sensitive. But if we can figure out what people crave, that space is not price sensitive because people are willing to pay premium prices for what they care about, what they covet, what they, what they lust for. And there's very few competitors in there. And so we were heavily focused on the individual in the business, not necessarily, 
okay, on, on pushing the technology because we didn't believe in pushing anything. There's so many product pushers out there today. It's, it's tough. They lose sense of what the demand side of the equation looks like. And so we tried to figure out beyond the fact that they needed a connection, right, with, a, with this new network, this new internet protocol network to do business. We tried to figure out what that person making the decision actually craved. Oh, what so was this, keeping them up at the, night? The, this is a beautiful. I've never heard anybody talk about cravings. <laughs> so cravings rather than needs. I mean, it's it's much more prime, prime, primordial, isn't it? It appeals to that lizard yeah. brain, that emotional sense. You're tapping into, you know, an inner desire. So tell tell me more about how how would we how would how did you you know, identify those cravings and how could our listeners identify the cravings of their potential customers? So, so let me give you an example. Okay. I mean, I just recently completed an engagement with a boat company in Ontario, Canada. They wanted me to help them with their strategy. And I've created this strategic game planning process that we can literally do for any organization in 48 hours. It's fast, it's fun, it's simple, and it's not expensive. And you can hit the bricks running, okay, executing this puppy in the 49th hour. So they asked me to come back. And what they wanted was they were having trouble getting some growth, right, momentum. And so we went through the process. A part of the process that I use is, first of all, to define how big you want to be. That's what your top line revenue growth goals are in 24 months. This is not a five-year plan because I don't believe in them because a fourth year never shows up. So (laughs) if you want to be execution focused, you got to bring the time horizon in. Okay. And you're going to learn on the run in terms of where you basically end up. So it's, it's, it's like how big, which is top line. It's not net income. It's top line. Who are you going to serve? Ask the question, where are you going to get the money? And this is about identifying customer groups with a latent potential to give you that how big. So you're not going after the market. You're going to try and focus yourself down into specific definable customer groups that have that demand potential. That's what you want because you don't have unlimited resources, time and money, right? So you want to be really focused. The third question is how are you going to compete and win in those customer groups? The piece of that that we do is we take a deep dive into the who, into those customer groups and try and figure out what they crave. So part of the process is basically doing that. It's like, I don't care what they need. Okay, so if we go back to the boat dealer, this was a really interesting process because every one of the, the people in the room, including the CEO, said, we sell boats. That's the business that they're in. And so I'm trying to pressure them to actually create an only position in the market, which is my way of differentiation, to get rid of the claptrap, like we're the best, we're better, we're number one. They don't mean anything. So I've created this process called the only. You want to be the only one that does what you do. That's the purpose of the only statement. And that's, in my, my view, in my experience, the ultimate manifestation of being different, of having a differential advantage is to be the only one. So yeah, set, we set me, apart this. Just let me stop you there, Roy. Yep. A quote I once heard about the, uh, the Grateful Dead. I don't know if you heard it. Jerry Garcia of, said. Of course I have. We, you don't we, want merely to be the best of the best. You want to be the only one to do what one you do. The, the, what now, you Jerry, do. unfortunately, copied that from me. He actually <laughs> read my stuff later on in life. <laughs> but, you know, the, tr- the truth of the matter is 
We could talk about the dead for a whole other show. But the truth of the matter is I stumbled on this quote years after I was actually working on this. And I said, finally, I get retrospective validation from Jerry. And I was so happy. <laughs> so happy. Guy was a genius. Yeah. Anyways, the only statement. Long story short, they were having difficulty with the only statement to figure out what they were truly unique at. And I said, well, let's dig into what they crave. What are these boat dealers who you sell to? What are they? What keeps them up at night? What do they really want? What do they desire? What's the biggest problem that keeps them awake? And what, it came, what came out was, well, the biggest worry they have is that they won't be able to grow their business. Boom. Oh, really? I said, well, what do you think? You think, guys, we could play into that space using boats as, as an anchor? Probably a bad choice of words. <laughs> but, so they said, what do you mean? I said, well, what if, you, what if we changed our view of your business and reframed it so that you're in the business development business and you help the boat dealers grow their business? If we said that we're the only ones who provide growth solutions for, boat, for the boat dealers business and help them grow their business, do you think we would be the only one in that space? And they go, yeah, because there's nobody else doing it. And I said, okay, we're going to do that. So what we ended up doing is reframing their business to create an only position. And I got to tell you, Mick, their eyes lit up. They have been running at this stuff like you wouldn't believe. Now, the truth of the matter is they're, com they're commanding premium prices because nobody else is doing it. And there's, and there's no competition in there because everybody else is flogging boats they're in the business of helping boat dealers grow their business. Easy peasy if you ask the right question and you have the right sort of perspective. So I've done that with a couple of clients doing this reframing piece. And it's magic, mate. It is magic. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, I work with a lot of clients, you know, trying to help them grow. I'm not as successful as you, Roy, but uh, I, do my own, I do my own little thing. And yeah, I'll often ask people, okay, well, well, describe your business. Why should somebody buy from you without using the words quality or price? Because they'll either say that they're cheapest or they're their best quality. Those things don't mean anything. And yeah. what you've given us with the only statement is a really powerful concept of how you can position yourself uniquely so that you're differentiated. So we're not competing on price. We're not competing on, on, on quality. We're delivering a wholly different experience. Would, would, that, be, would that be part of the, the, the cravings thing, or is that something slightly different? No, no. Look, at, it's a means to the cravings piece is a means to the end because the cravings conclusion basically drives the heart of the only statement. So you're going to be the only one relative to the customer groups you've decided to serve, okay, that, that does certain things. The certain things are based on what they crave, not what they need, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. another example would be I just, just completed some work with this company that, that were actually in the landscaping business. We went through the same process, created their strategic game plan, ran into the same cha uh, challenge when we got to 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 developing their only because this can company I just stop, decided can I just can I just yep. stop you there Roy you know I mean if I look at landscapers 
they're, they're all the same. They brought. I mean, here in Charlotte, I mean, yesterday I couldn't do my podcast. There's an army of them with their leaf blowers outside, making a hell of a racket, and they all show up. and And how do you how do you differentiate? So, so okay, so so, so I'm, I'm I'm all ears with this one. So, so yeah, exactly. Well, that that was why why they came to me. The the guy that ran the company, I know him. He knows my work. He's is is infatuated by by the stuff, and so he said, "Help me." So, basically, yeah, it's a pedantic, insipid, inert kind of business. If you think about it in terms of landscaping, so we went through this, defined his who, which are the customer set that he decided to serve as strata corporations, geographically confined. So we wanted to be really, really focused. So we looked at his, at the only statement. And Sorry, so you, you, you use some big words there, strata companies, oh, ge- geographically you know, defined. Tell me. Oh, okay. Strata, a strata is an organization that manages a complex, like a condominium complex. In our case, we live in a bare land strata with single family homes. Okay. The management of that in terms of landscaping is done by a strata corporation. Oh, so we okay. would call that we would call that here a homeowner association. There you go. Here in the well, US. let's use that term. Yeah. So okay. we decided to serve homeowner associations because they can be defined, they mm-hmm. can be named, yep. easy to get to, fast to get to. Right. The point I want to make is when you have a 24-month plan, you need to get to your prospects fast and easy. You don't have time to do a 12-month selling cycle, okay? You mm-hmm. just don't. So fast and easy is kind of the, the phrase I took. Anyways, we're going through this, ran into the same problem. We're the same as everybody else. I said, well, tell me what keeps the strata corporations awake at night. So I'm doing my dive. What do they crave? What do they crave? I want to find it. You don't always use the word crave because that's, but in my lexicon, that's what I'm after. I'm after the non-need stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that these strata corporations are looking for more than just landscaping. Okay, what they want is a single point of contact where they can go, okay, for a multiplicity, okay, of services. And so we, I said, oh, I see. We're really, we really should be in the property development business. What if we thought about ourselves as not being in the landscaping business, but in the property development business where landscaping is simply one component and all the relationships that you have with other kinds of services that strata corporations would need is going to be part of that. And so now you've opened up the ability to bundle and integrate value-based solutions that nobody else can. I said, what if we thought about yourself like the CEO goes, boom, that's it. Absolutely, that's it. So they're now in the business or in the property development, development business serving strata corporations. They're not in the landscaping business at all. Reframe the business around only right? Figured out what they crave and then claimed to be the only one that does what they do. And so now they've set themselves up as this kind of like portal, the notion of a portal that says, Mm -hmm. okay, if you're a strata corporation, you need to come to me, right? And I'm going to take care of basically everything that, that, that keeps you awake at night and everything that you need. And, and again, it was kind of like a revelation, and and they've been they've been grabbing this. They're in the implementation stage right now. And Stratas are saying to them, "What? What? What do you mean?" And a lot of the challenge here is to take that only statement and break it down. I call it unpacking the only, where you give it more granularity in terms of of what what you mean by property development, what you mean by this and that, right? 
so that people can understand it. You don't just claim it at the high level, but you break it down. And that's part of the problem today with universal or unique selling propositions, which are, as you pointed out, are actually a joke. They're not, they're not, you know, selling propositions and they're not unique because they continue to use what I call claptrap. Mm-hmm. Claptrap are about aspirations. They're about copying best in class. They're about claptrap and they're about narcissism. That's it. That's why they don't do the job. And that's why the only statement as backed by Jerry Garcia are so important. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the beautiful thing, Roy, in in listening to you and I, I share the same view. It's not that difficult to stand out, right? Because everybody's doing the same thing. So just a little bit of insightful thought, a little bit of, you know, talking to the customer, trying to understand their wants versus their needs, their cravings versus their absolutes, and and packaging it in a positioning yourself in a slightly different way takes a little bit of upfront effort, but you can clearly delineate yourself from everybody else. I like the expression, you don't want to differentiate yourself from your competitors. You want to distance yourself from them. So the only statement is an, is even a leapfrog of that. Uh, you're so different to everybody else that people are curious and they must ask questions. Well, what do you mean? Which overcomes that initial approach of how do I get meetings with somebody when you have something that's curious and new it's much easier to get into a conversation what what it's a pattern interrupt I don't understand tell me more well I mean part of the thing is it first of all the only statement approach clearly answers the question why should I do business with you and not Mm -hmm. your competitor it absolutely gets the kids off the street and answers that and so Clearly, I mean, you use the word, you know, you know, stand up. I mean, it's like breakaway. That's part of the audacious notion. It says it's so bold, you're actually creating a new box to play in. It's not getting out of the box. It's creating a new box. The point I want to make is the reason that people are unable to see this approach is they don't have the structure. So for a guy like me that's worked with this for four decades, I've created a structure that actually works in the real world. You know, like this is not a, a textbook, you know, academic standard textbook approach. This is Roy's book. Mm-hmm. Roy learned this stuff in the trenches, doing this stuff day in and day out. And it didn't start out looking the way it, it looks. It started out differently, right? It started out it, ugly, right? It started well, <laughs> and it's still ugly. Like I look at my work is a draft, Mick. It will always be a draft. And the reason for that is how can I be so egotistical to believe that my approach right now will work forever, given the nature of the environment that we're in, the uncertainties, the unpredictabilities. And part of my part of my message to people is, let's treat this as a draft. Let's just get going. I call it planning on the run. Let's do some things, learn from those things, adjust, and keep executing. And eventually, mm-hmm. we will end up where we should. But if you back, if you look back, you never will have the ability to predict where you should be really in 24 months or 36 months. And so I call it just about right and heading west planning. The whole approach that I take to this is heavy up on execute. The same with your differential advantage statement. The only statement, it's always a draft because the minute you do it, 
Your competitors, if they have any sense at all, will go, oh my God, I better do something. And so you're going to be in this position of constantly having to tweak it. That's okay. And so, you know, I find people go, ha, huh, you mean I don't have to be perfect? And I said, no, you never will be perfect. This is just the reality of the day. And unfortunately, we've been taught to try and be perfect. The education system teaches us to be perfect. It gives us formulas. We've actually, we actually have the audacity to try and tell leaders that if you have a linear regression analysis with 57 past historical points, it will provide you a good idea about what's going to happen in the next two to three years. Absolute hogwash, intellectually dishonest. Okay, I don't go there. I just blast that model and say, look, let's start something here and let's discover. Okay, let's discover its genius on the way, right? And we'll find our end spot and we'll be happy there. And we will bypass all those guys that are still worrying and pondering about strat planning 101. They've got subject matter experts with swats and dots and cots in there doing all their things. We will <laughs> bypass them. And leave them in the dust. Do you want to come with me? And they go, yeah, let's go do this. So people are fed up, but they need structure. And hopefully that's what I've created over the over my life. So there's a structure you, you, that allows people to break away. Yeah, you talked about being able to, you know, execute a plan in 40, develop a plan in 48 hours. Yep. Uh, and you have a structure. Could you just break down for us at a high level? what those steps are. We think we've talked about some of the elements, but I'd like to understand the flow sure. a little bit. Sure. So there's there's three questions. I call it strategic game planning. And look at, I mean, I I created that this out of necessity several years ago as part of my, my challenge to grow this internet space because I looked around and I couldn't find any help in terms of creating, you know, an end game that made sense because it was all about trying to perfect the plan. And I had figured it out way before then that I should be spending 20% of my time on the plan and 80% of my time on execution. The problem is today, it's exactly the flip of that. You know, people spend way too much time. So I created uh, this approach that has three questions to answer. And if you can answer the three questions, you have your strategy. The first question that we alluded to before is how big do you want to be? It's a declaration of growth intent. So my process starts out with the numbers, which is exactly the opposite of every other planning process, you know, which goes through the strategy and then creates the financials. And then you don't like the financials. You change the assumptions without changing the strategy. How insane is that? Anyways, so I say get the kids off the street. We're start. The numbers drive the character and the risk profile of the strategy because a strategy, an objective to grow 50% will be a significantly different strategy than one that says you're going to grow 10%. And so you have to declare that first. So that's how big do you want to be? Do you want to be 10 million? Do you want to be 20 million? Do you want to be 50 million? Let's have that conversation. We go nowhere until we've nailed that down. Mm -hmm. Second question is, once we've answered it, is who do you intend to serve? That's where you're going to get the money. That's about defining customer groups right. and what they crave. We try and minimize the number of customer groups because you have limited, limited amount of energy and resources. And so we come up with this notion that I've coined fast and easy. It's a 24-month plan, 24 periods of 30 days. That's what this is. And so you have to get to your customer groups fast and easy, right? And so we put that lens on because really you have to be focused. That's one of the biggest problems with entrepreneurs these days. They're trying to solve every problem. They're going after everything. You can't do that. 
So we get the customer groups defined. That's our who. And we know what they crave. Then the third question is, how are you going to compete and win in those customer groups that you've decided to serve and uncovered their cravings? That's basically the only state. That's where we go into uh-huh. creating the only yep. state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How are you going to compete and win? We're going to compete and win by being the only ones that serve stratas by providing them with property development solutions in a way that they care about. Boom. That could be a statement there. So once you have the answers to those three questions, you then create your strategic game plan statement. It could sound something like this. We will grow our revenues from 10 million to 20 million by December 31st, 2025. We will focus on allocating our scarce resources to strata corporations residing in greater Vancouver. We will compete and win by being the only uh, partner that provides property development solutions customized for each and every strata corporation. Boom, that's it. 48 hours. Then what we do as part of that is we go into setting objectives. What are the key things that we need to do to breathe life into this puppy? Who's going to do it by when? And we're always governed by, let's look at the critical few things we have to do, not the possible many. Like, this is not a to-do list. This is not brainstorming. In fact, I would say that people have too much to do, don't understand their strategy. Yeah, and what what is your filter to take to identify the, the critical few versus the possible many? Yeah, so I've got a, I got a structure. Okay, so we look at leadership objectives, okay, which typically focus on testing the only statement because once we've created the only, we got to go test it. Like, did we get it right? So we go to customers, we go to employees and ask the question, is it true? Did we nail it? Does it address the things that our target group cares about? And so we do some testing and we may tweak it a little bit, et cetera. And that's a leadership objective. For sure, we get that done. There's a communication objective. We now have a new strategy. It needs to be communicated to the organization and we need to get some feedback. That's a leadership issue. We don't, we don't delegate that to the business development people, okay? No, right. that's strategic micromanagement in my world. It's my job we do that. Then we look at marketing objectives, which, which breaks down the revenues, okay, into year one, year two, breaks it down into customers, how many do we have to retain? What kind of retention rate can we get? What kind of new customers do we have to get, et cetera, et cetera. But the emphasis on retention, Mick, I want to make that point. You grow on the backs of the customers you now have, not with the audacity to go try and think that you can acquire new customers and, and reject or ignore your existing ones to grow the business. So I want to get, I want to get fans that refer, fans that refer, okay, not promiscuous new ones, that will leave me in a heartbeat. Don't want that, right? So you go through marketing objectives. There's finance objectives. There may be business development objectives. So there's, a, so there's that kind of functional description, but I don't let it get to the point where there's like 10 objectives per category. There may be two. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what we may end up with is maybe nine or 10 key objectives. And yes, we may have missed something. That's okay. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out when we get into this baby because we're going to review it every month. So this is a 30-day strategic review process. And the reason for that is the strategy is 24 periods of 30 days. 
I like, so? I like, I like that, Roy, in, in the fact that it's not a static thing. And right. you have to breathe life into it. So, so that consistent review. I mean, you were you you're years ahead of your time because now now that now they've invented some fancy technology. You know, have you you heard of agile? Everybody's agile now. So, so planning. So it's all it's all textbook stuff. But this is what, a real I, real practice. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Well, look where, at all I would say is fortunately I'm not up to speed <laughs> because. Because that stuff is like it, like you can put. It's like putting lipstick on a pig, Mick. It's still a pig. I'm yeah. sorry. Don't edit that out, please. No, because, I'm not. I'm not editing anything out. It's because look, at, the world is is replete with tactically driven activities, and we forget that there's a strategic context that we need to mm-hmm. define and give a future to how we apply artificial intelligence. Right. How do we how do we use social media and all those tactical things? The problem is today, business people seem to feel that they got to be on the in crowd. They got to be popular with respect to social media without really knowing how they're going to use it. They need to get to chat GBT solutions for God knows what without understanding how it applies to their business. And and unfortunately, for, for organizations looking to grow, that's one of the biggest barriers. You're tactically driven, guys. Take a step back. Figure out what you want to be when you grow up. Okay, that's what you need to do first. That's, uh, that's, that's wise counsel, Roy. Thanks for that. And then audacious goals is another mantra of yours. What's, what's behind or audacious leadership? What, what, what would you have to say about that? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that there's several, <laughs> there's several things that, that work for us that I would, I would call audacious. First of all, why the word? I can think of no word in the English language that fits me as a person and me as a leader better than that word. And I, I looked for one. As I wrote my seventh book in May of 2022, I'm looking for a title. And it had to be around the fact that we grew this business to a billion in sales because that seemed to be something that people wanted, were interested in understanding. And so I hit upon, what am I going to call this? So I ended up on audacious, unheard of. Audacious because it, it means bold. It means outlandish. It means breakaway. It means unthinkable. It means unpopular, right? It means inconsistent. It means unstable. It means every every attribute that I believe in. And the reason I believe in those is because it's breakaway, getting out of the herd. It's creating distance, as you said before. You can't create distance by being popular. Now, that's, see, of all the words that you just use in that soliloquy, right, <laughs> unpopular was the one, because everybody wants to be popular these days. Of course. And you just nailed it. You cannot be different. And you cannot distance yourself if you're trying to be popular. No, no, you can't. And, and unfortunately, the world is full of, of how to be popular narratives. And it starts out in our personal lives and it, it leads into the business world where if you're not using AI, you're missing something. That kind of thing is another way of spinning the popularity thing from a business point of view. But I, I decided that and I was always this way. I was always looking for, I was always looking for ways of doing things differently. 
And I'm pretty sure I got it from my mom. My mom was one of 12 people who was you know, siblings. That's born a in big, Quebec. Yeah. That's a big family. So she, she would describe to me the, the battles at the, at the dinner table, right? Because you got 11 competitors all fighting to be fed is the way. <laughs> she never said it that way, but that was my interpretation. And I never thought about it at the time, but can you imagine how much energy and perseverance and tenacity so I'm convinced that that piece of me is straight out of her book, is straight yeah. out of her DNA. I got it running through my veins. Okay, I will not accept defeat. I will not accept the impossibility of do, doing something. And so that forms a part, a dimension of this word audacious that I feel just like, I just feel close to, All right? And so, you know, and it guides me all the time. I have this filter that I, when people say, well, how can you start this? And I say, well, simply every time you're facing a challenge, you ask yourself the question, how can I do this differently? Every time. Don't gargle Google. Okay. Stay away from Google. I call it gargling Google. Don't gargle Google. <laughs> can't gargle Google. Pay attention. Pay attention. <laughs> well, all that does is increase the herd by one, right? Because you're motivated to not create, you're motivated to copy. When yeah. you gargle, you copy. Crazy, right? And so I was always driven to not do that. I was so. So you're, me- you're 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 not a fan of benchmarking either, I would imagine. <laughs> well, I think it's insulting, quite frankly. I think don't, I think don't, people- don't 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 hold back, Roy. You know, I'm just tell sorry. it how it is. Yeah, <laughs> I've, and I've written. If you really want to find out, I mean, I've been blogging on this stuff since '09, so there's all sorts of stuff in in my blogs on benchmarking, and I, I consider benchmarking under the guise of innovation. Uh, which a lot of people claim it is, as being intellectually dishonest. How can you copy anybody and say you're being innovative and creative? You can't. But but we teach, go, you know, we want to solve a problem, go check out what other people do. And unfortunately, if 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 you only did that and then chose to be different from that, okay, I'm willing to have a conversation. But if, if all you do is take what the best practice company does and integrate it into your company strategically, then you've got a problem. Now, I will say there is a role for benchmarking, but it's not in effectiveness and not at the strategy level. It's at the efficiency and maybe operations level. When you're looking to be more efficient within a strategic context that you've created yourself and it's unique and remarkable, then okay, I'm willing to have that conversation. But the, the problem is too many organizations look to gargling Google and benchmarking to help create their strategic destination. It's wrong. You can't do it. You can't be different in that set. So you got to put it aside. Differentiation hates benchmarking. Boom, full stop. So you got yeah, to stop. I, I, my, to, two of my recent conversations with business owners, <clears throat> one of them is in a, in a, in a, a trash haulage business and uh, you know, I said, well, how did you come up with your pricing? So, well, we looked at what everybody else was doing and we, we, we put ourselves at that level. I said, well, look, just increase your prices by 25%. She said, why would we do that? I said, would you think you're better than those people? He said, yes. I said, then put your prices up. And he said, nobody will, nobody will know, but that's one thing. And then another person was a, a photographer, portrait photographer. I actually had my my portraits done for my some of my landing pages. And she said, oh, Mick, I, I, I don't know what to charge for my services. I've been thinking about it for a year. I look at all these other people and, man, I, I said, well, you're not, a, you're not a photographer. I said, if you, if you try and price yourself as a 
portrait photographer, you'll get portrait prices. I said, you, you're changing people's lives. You're, you're allowing their internal self to be projected and manifested in an image form that will convey their values. It's, it's a personal transformation. You could change their destiny. You're not in the portrait business. See, you know what you've no, you know what you've just done. That's freaking brilliant. What you've done is reframed your. That's what I'm talking about. Reframing their thinking. Right. And now what you do is reframe it along the lines that you just described, and then claim that you're the only one that does what you do, and you will be. Hence, the right to command premium prices in a world that doesn't have any competition. Well done, Mick. Great Thank advice. You. Thank you. Thank you. So I asked these two questions of uh, all my guests, and I know your answers are going to be uh, (laughs) entertaining, Roy, and and instructive. All right. So the first question is, what was was the first sale you made? A lot of salespeople listening to this show. What was your first sale? Well, the first of all, I've not done sales. But I and I'm not in sales. In fact, I don't believe you need sales. You want entertaining. I don't think you need sales. I'm in the serving business because I actually believe that if you serve well, the transaction and the exchange of money will happen and it'll happen with regularity. And isn't that what we want to do? Okay. So, so the fact, the, the problem I have is sales has evolved with a certain kind of nomenclature and a certain sort of tool set that I'm not a fan of. I'm not a fan of flogging products. I'm not a fan of, of, of cold calling and getting in people's faces, etc. I'm in a fan of building relationships and serving people so well that they feel guilty if they don't buy something. Mm-hmm. And so instead of selling, I'm in the buying business. And how can you do that? You get people to buy by serving. And so the one example that I will say to you that, that resulted in, first of all, maintaining a multi-million dollar client and actually getting a fan for life that referred us and talked us up to every big business in Vancouver was a, was a hotel in Vancouver that we unfortunately put out of business. The switchboards went down. All our communication business, there was a technology issue, went down. The guy who I knew very well calls me and he's screaming at me, just screaming at me, right? He had my number, boom, he's screaming at me. And I first thing I said, I'm sorry, Michael, look at, we'll take care of this right away. Okay. So the action that we took from that was, first of all, he was out of business for about three to four hours. First thing I did was I phoned, phoned my finance department. I said, I want to check for 30,000 bucks and I want it in 15 minutes. Okay. So I know what he's going to ask for. He's going to claim that he's been out of business and he's going to say, hey, you owe me. Okay, so there's penalties associated mm-hmm. with that, right? Yeah. So I said, I'm not going to wait for him to ask. I want $30,000 right away. Boom, want the check. Second thing, I phoned my, my, my sales director or vice president and said, tell me what this guy covets. What is he, what is he, what's his secret? What does he really want? Well, it turns out, that you know, remember the old candlestick phones in the old days, those, yep. those kind of like you know, cool old retro phones that people would put on their desk. He wanted one of those and he wanted it in red and he was too cheap to buy one. And I'm talking, you know, his executive assistant has given us this information, right? And so I said, okay, what we're going to do, 
we're going to get get one of those phones, get a hold of my vice president. So boom, we go to my, down to Michael's office. So this is like within two hours. So boom, we're in his office. And it, as soon as we walk into his office, I say, Mike, I'm so sorry. We screwed up. You're absolutely right. We owe you. And you know what he says? It's okay, Roy. <laughs> it's okay. So I, I handed him a check and I said, I know this isn't enough, but here it is. Okay. Boom. He goes, well, you didn't have to do that. I said, yes, we did. And I said, the other thing I want is we have a gift for you. So we had it all wrapped up, presented the gift, right? Of this phone. He opens the, the, the gift and he goes, oh my God, I've always wanted these things. Thank you so much. How did you ever find this out? Right. So <laughs> make a long story short. I mean, it was not a confrontative conversation at all. We took the initiative and did I sell him? Yes. I sold him because we recovered from a screw up, a service screw up in a way that allowed me to build his loyalty and get his confidence and earn the right to have him tell that story to everybody else. Well, it turns out, I mean, from that point on, this guy, every time he was asked a question about customer service, because it's a hotel, right? Yeah. He would always tell the story about how we recovered and, and made things right for him. And that's my, that's my sales story. I tell it that way because it's not about selling, guys. It's not. It's about serving in a way that people care about that nobody else does and treating them as human beings, not flogging agents. They're not flogging agents. So, so don't flog. Go serve. Exactly. And, you know, selling is service, right? So well, I, we know that. But the problem is the textbooks, they uh, promulgate yeah. things like funnel management and all that. I'm not saying that's not important, but it's way down the curve. No, I, 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 way down the I agree. And and the second question I asked was, what was the most creative way you got a you got a <laughs> you got a client? Well, I think you answered it with the one with the one story there. That that's it. But you know what? I mean, we've we've replicated we replicated that approach. Like we actually had a service recovery strategy in our business. So most businesses don't have this because they don't like to admit they're going to screw up. Okay, because we've been taught not to screw up. Yeah. So so. The old do it right the first time? No, no, no. You're going to screw up. You better get it right the second time fast. So the power of recovery goes like this. You have 24 hours to fix it because if you don't fix it, then you're done. You're, you're, you're mm-hmm. finished. But you do have the right if you recover in 24 hours and then you add something that surprises the individual. So it's fix it fast and surprise. If you don't, if you don't fix it, you can't surprise. But if you only fix it, you don't have any more loyalty because they expected you to, right? So you need to fix it and surprise. We had a service recovery strategy in our business because we knew we'd screw up. People are people, technology is technology. And it wasn't a one-time thing. In fact, the recovery strategy that we had completely changed the culture of the business because when you're in a recovery, the organizational hierarchy doesn't exist. Because what I did is I empowered the person with the problem to own the organization. So middle management had a real problem with this, okay? Because, you know, they thought that they had a whole lot more currency than I was giving them credit for. And I said, look, your job is to support the person with the recovery because we got 24 hours every time out to fix this. And then here's what I want you salespeople to do. I want you to tell me what they crave. You tell me what your clients crave. Exactly what I did with my sales vice president. My question to him 
was all about what have you learned? What, what cravings, what secrets have you learned about the client that we can use, okay, in a recovery process? And so I think sales need to be recovery addicts and they need to be secret gatherers. I, None I, of I, I, absolutely. And, uh, you know, a lot of organizations talk about their CRM and it's very mechanical and it's, it's, it's kind of abuse. But what should be in there is that intelligence, that intellectual property of what's a customer really want? What's their background? How do we interact with them? What's the best way to speak to them? What are they, what's their family like? So that you can talk to them as a human being and not as a transactional you know, moment. Um, right. So I'm, I'm I, with you. I'm with you entirely on that. I, I had to change, completely change the compensation system of sales, which drove them crazy. They all ran to their caves the moment I did it because I introduced, <laughs> I introduced the customer perception. Okay. Which was based on relationship behaviors as 40% of their bonus year one. And I increased that in succeeding years. So it became that's how I integrated this serving notion in with the existing sales force, mm-hmm. not flash cutting it, but saying, okay, we are going to ask your customers how you serve them. And it's going to be based on maybe four behaviors like, are you available? What kind of follow up do you, you know, all the simple, these are not important, not complicated simple things. Things. And yet yep. they govern the sales decisions or the purchasing decisions of customers. So we had to reinvent that because my experience is, you know, people, salespeople, people in sales, they do what they're paid for. They do what they're paid to do. So the secret is to get the sales comp plan right. If you get it wrong, it's it's 100 miles of bad road, right? Yeah, that, that's, that's, a, that's a whole different show there, <laughs> Roy. We can go on that forever. <laughs> So, so but, I got a I got a question for you. So, as we yeah. kind of wrap wrap this up, okay. and, uh, like me, you, you're no spring chicken, although you are springing around. Yes, like I am. A, you, 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 you are you are full of energy. What what is it that's driving you? What's your what's your mission? Why are you so passionate and still doing this when you could be not in a rainy Vancouver? You could be languishing on some tropical beach somewhere. Well, that's I, I do I do languish. I consider that whole picture what I would say part of my my sort of the, my achieve my achiever DNA, which is kind of driven throughout this whole thing. Like my whole life has been that I got to do stuff. I got I got to keep going. I got There's always things to do, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. In this particular case, because I've been asked this question before, it's not like I'm a great altruist, but I tell you what my 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 view of a great day for, for me would be, you know, if we think about that, that normal distribution curve, right. Mm-hmm. With a, with a, with the, with the bell curve, the bell with, curve, the, yeah. with yeah. the glut in the middle where most mm-hmm. people reside and you go out to the right hand tail where the, the superstars are, then you go to the left where the wannabes are, right. What if, what if we could take that glut and move them two points to the right? Okay in the way we conduct business. Can you imagine, first of all, the amount of personal pleasure that that would create in individuals? Can you imagine the successful careers that that would create? Can you imagine the economic benefits of business improvement and performance that would generate in, in, the, in the world? And I say, that's really what I would like to do. I'd like to be a part of that. What I'm finding, it's difficult because we have this huge inertia, 
that's created by textbook thinking, academics, and the stuff that used to work yesterday, and a reticence to try, be different or be dead, those sorts, I'm not saying that's the only one, but that kind of thinking, non-linear kinds of thinking, it's really hard to get people off that until we have a conversation. Because I always say, look at Mick, you can trust what I've said to you today, and so can your listeners and, and, and viewers. And the reason for that is I did it. This is the stuff that drove a relatively early company to a billion in annual sales. You know what that company is today? It's $18 billion a year. And I like to think that we as a team had a little part to play in it. But the success is getting people one by one to asking them, how, how can I be different? to not gargle Google, to try and create a little bit as opposed to copying, to let's not ponder, let's practice, let's do stuff, not think about stuff. And it's, I got to tell you, if I didn't have such a high level level of energy, it would break me down. But I got to tell you, mate, it is not going to break me down. And I'm going to keep driving this thing too. And when I'm on a bed, it's that's going to be in my IV, right? And I'm still going to be talking about it. It's going to be sugar water with be different or be dead in it. <laughs> well, Roy, look, it's been a, such a delight speaking with you, and and uh, the the experiences you've shared are very, very practical. You've you, you've wrapped some strategic thinking and a structure around it that we can take away. These are not theories. You've it's tried and tested. You've scaled it. It comes over with massive conviction. If people want to learn more about you know being different or be dead presumably you have some books and blogs and things that people can refer to how can people connect with you and learn yeah i probably have way too much of all of that i have a website called be different or be dead.com so please come and visit what you'll find there is I, I blog regularly about this contact so there's a lot of content i've been blogging since 2009 i mean that's when i first kind of formally started that was my first book called Be Different or Be Dead, Your Business Survival Guide. And since then, and you can find this on the website, I've written another six books. So information on the book is there, the blog's there. I have this page, and I haven't talked about this before. This is the first time called Thoughtful Remarks. It's kind of like a record of what people say about the content and the experience that, that they have when we talk about it. And it's kind of cool to give you a flavor for that. And then I have an email. It's roy.osing at gmail.com. And Mick, I'm happy to have a conversation with anybody who's interested enough to contact me and, and, and be curious about what this is all about. And you know, I get, I get people emailing me in, in now because you're about the 85th or 86th podcast I've done in the last you know 18 months or so. So talk about just kind of getting on and doing this. And I get people saying, hey, Roy, heard the podcast. Here's my only statement. What do you think? Hey, man, that that's, That's just it. brilliant. Yeah. That's awesome. So please take advantage of me. I'm here to be had. Fabulous. Thanks. Such a generous offer. You're very gracious. And uh, yeah, Sizzlers, I want you to all go away and write your own only statement. You learned how to do it. Why are you the only person somebody should do business with? If you can't answer that question, you're always going to be the middleman, the middle price, you know, the middle winner. If you want to be the best, if you want to excel, you want to be bold, get that only statement together. Roy, thank you for coming on the show. It's been fantastic. Oh, you're welcome, Mick. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed yeah. it. Cheers. 
And sadly, we've come to the end of another great show. Please, could you go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review if you enjoyed this show? Secondly, if you go to sellthesizzle.net, I've got some fancy artificial intelligence that will interrogate all of my episodes and give you any of the answers that you need on sales. So you have to go to the website, you can do it on your phone or on your computer, sellthesizzle.net, and you can see just see a search bar at the top. So if you type something in there like cold call or objection handling, it'll pull out all the chapters in the episodes that talk about that specific subject. Have fun with that. Let me know how you get on and we'll see you next week.